Welcome to a special sort of different episode of Bang Kong Podcast. In our last episode, you heard Mike. Say hello to the people, Mike. Hi, everyone. Telling people uh, about his experience. We were talking about his experience with this coronavirus thing at uh, with his company, Ariette. Ariette Restaurant? Hospitality? Ariette Hospitality Group. Ariette Hospitality Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in this episode, we are going to bring you a series of phone calls with a bunch of people. Some of them have been guests on this podcast before. Um, just to kind of get their take and their perspective, because as we noted in that previous podcast, all that we can really speak to is our own experiences, and I think that there's probably value to uh, bringing you other perspectives. What would you hope, because at the time that we're recording this, we actually haven't recorded these phone calls yet. Right. Um, What is it that you hope to get out of hearing from other people who are in a situation kind of like yours? I I think everyone has a different perspective and like approach to things, and... Um, the one thing about, I think, life period, and especially at this point in life, is that you can learn something from everybody. So there's something that someone else could be doing um, that you didn't think of that would really help you in the long term. Whether you use it or you don't, uh, it doesn't really matter, but it's a different perspective. And I think since everyone's business is kind of, you know, kind of functions a little bit differently, um... You know, maybe something that they did can help you, but it wouldn't help me. You know, I, I think it all is kind of just very fluid right now. Yeah, and, and I would note, you know, that I think um, we're going to be talking primarily, if not exclusively, to people who are in food. Food is one of the industries that's getting hitting that's getting hit hardest now. So, yeah. The stat I saw today, which I, I can't confirm it because it was just a quick stat that I saw. Yeah. There's a quarter million uh, employees for the cruise industry. Uh, there's 15 million food and beverage employees in the country right now. So that's an, an important fact, talking about how much help this industry really needs. Right. So uh, that's who we'll be talking to, but that's primarily because this industry's gotten hit first. There's yeah. going to be ripple effects, and you know, I think if you own any kind of business or you work in any kind of business, which obviously you do, uh, hopefully you'll find value in hearing from all these people we're going to talk to. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, if if you're in food, you still want people outside of food to benefit from the lessons that are being learned from this tough time. Because at the end of the day, you're going to need your car repaired, and you're going to hope that the people, the company repairing your car, or uh, you know, whether it's changing your oil or doing your dry cleaning, you want them to be healthy when you go to them and need to do business with them. So, uh, really, this is going to be more of a you know. From the food perspective, but a lessons learned uh, sort of business in coronavirus uh, podcast. And hopefully whoever's listening to this will see uh, something they can take from it. So uh, that's it. Here we go. Bye now. All right. So we're going to get into uh, these interviews. Um, I am recording this little introduction Friday, March 20th, and it's looking like we're going to do several episodes of these after all. Um, So just so you're aware, these conversations, because context matters when all of this is changing so quickly, uh, these three conversations you're going to hear were recorded uh, on Thursday, March 19th and Friday, March 20th. The three people you hear, you'll hear from in this episode are uh, Danny Surfer, uh, Adelie Cabrera, and Norman Van Aken. We'll get a little more into introductions of, of each uh, before each phone call. 
We'll start with Danny Surfer. This was recorded on Thursday. Uh, Danny is a chef and owner at Miami Restaurants Mignonette, Blue Collar, and Vinaigrette Sub Shop. Also, maybe more importantly, he is a uh, yo-yo master. Also, he is a past guest of this podcast, and his episode is our all-time most listened-to show. That was October 27, 2019, if you're going back to look for it. Still worth listening to, especially if you need some entertainment during your quarantine. So uh, without any further ado, here is my conversation with Danny Server. Thanks, Danny, for uh, for taking time out. I'm sure there's all kinds of other stuff that you want to be uh, <laughs> you want to be thinking about right about now. Uh, so we're glad you took a little bit of time out to uh, share with people about your experience with this coronavirus thing. Let's uh, let's start just kind of giving people an overview of how you've experienced uh, the pandemic or the outbreak. When did what happen, uh, and when did you make which decisions in terms of getting from normal to where to where we are now? Uh, last Monday we started getting. I mean, we've been keeping our eye on this since you know since the beginning of of seeing news about it uh it didn't really hit close to home until maybe about last monday we started thinking about it more seriously and started to see you know small drops in revenue started to hear more about it on the news and started to think about what we would do and what what our options were uh when things hit the fan. And, you know, I kept thinking about it. I kept talking to people, kept talking to my partners, kept talking to the staff. And each day we see it get a little worse and worse. Um, One of them, you know, come like Wednesday, one of the more surprising aspects was we saw uh, takeout and delivery take a huge dive. You know, that at Blue Collar especially is a large part of our business. And we saw that really go down. And then that was really a big warning, a red flag. Then the R Center closing was a real eye-opener for Minionette. All the while, you know, being, aside from revenue, I fuck that, you know, being concerned about the safety of our staff, our guests, and the community at large. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm immune compromised. I'm a diabetic. My father-in-law is immune compromised. He's, you know, in that older demographic and also he's diabetic. I have a sister who had a stroke three years ago who is immune compromised and is wheelchair bound. So the fact that I could potentially harm or other people could potentially harm myself and people I care about a lot is scary. And we want to do what is right in order to prevent that as much as possible. Right. So we made the decision uh, Friday that, you know, after this weekend, we're going to close down the restaurants and, you know, we're, when we reopen, we will. We felt that closing the restaurant gives us the best chance. It, well, one, you know, felt good about it in terms of a, a safety call for our staff and our guests. And two, 
we feel it gives us the best chance of reopening when we get to the other side of this. And, you know, so we closed, we had the staff clean out the coolers, the walk-ins, take whatever they want, um, you know, all the perishable stuff and, you know, any dry stuff they really wanted. And we just wanted to make sure at the very least that everyone that works with us has food. Right. Then, you know, we are keeping all of our staff on our insurance. All the staff that's on insurance is going to be covered and for right now uh, through the month of April. Uh, we'll see how much lo how long we can sustain that. And we're in touch with all the managers and staff, keeping them updated. We have text threads going to try and, you know, hear from anyone, if anybody needs anything, how, how we can help each other. And everyone is very, so far, uh, everyone has been very understanding because this is my job too. And I'm, even though I'm, I'm the owner, I'm in this boat with everyone. So shutting down three restaurants sucks for me as much as it does for the staff as well, because I don't have a job anymore either. Right. You know, I don't have some like pile of money. I don't have another source of income. Um, I'm, I'm in it with them. And right now I'm not as concerned about the finances and money stuff as I am about everyone's safety because it, it seems like it's going to get a whole bunch worse before it gets better. And, you know, I got kids at home. I have a wife at home. I told you I have my other parts of my family, some who are immune compromised. And that's the most important thing, making sure I think that we're all safe and continuing to be healthy. That's my number one focus right now. And I think from... I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think it's a it's a good thing for people to to keep in mind. You know, I, I think sometimes when we think about whether a business stays open or closes or makes this or that shift, it's it's sort of easy to fall into thinking about whether it's a restaurant or a retailer or or whatever it might be. It's easy to think about it as just sort of like this faceless, you know, uh company or business. Uh, but behind that business, there may be an owner with, uh, you know, who's immunocompromised with, let's say, diabetes. And in your case, you're the owner, so you really can't isolate yourself from any part of the business. If the if the business is exposed, you're exposed. Um, so I, I think yeah. that's that's and, an important thing to keep. Furthermore, yeah. Aside from you know me, like if none of us are healthy or even alive, <laughs> then there's no there's no business anyway. You know, right. it's one of the one of the things I learned early on in recovery is your your recovery has to come first before the job, before the girlfriend, before the whatever. If you're not clean and healthy, then you can't do anything else. You know, there's there's nothing. So if none of us are healthy, none of us go back to work, none of us can open this place up, none of us can continue with our lives when we get to the other end. So I want to make sure I'm doing what I can to to make to to continue one day and 
for people to be healthy and have the place to come back to. Right. So, um, let me, uh, let, let's shift gears a little bit into just sort of like looking, uh, forward. What are some of the things that you're keeping an eye on? Maybe it's like benchmarks or indicators or, uh, or some kind of, uh, advisory, whatever from a government body. What is it that you're keeping an eye on to sort of gauge whether and when you make the next shift or start to step back into, uh, doing business or whatever that might be? Um, right now I'm just consuming all of the information I can, all, all of the reputable news outlets, all the CDC stuff, all the stuff that comes from good places and reliable sources I'm looking at and considering. Uh, I think I'm going to kind of look at just more of the community and what's going on like as of right now it seems like less is going on like they just shut down the beaches more and more stuff it seems like is going to get shut down which is a good thing i feel and then maybe on the other side you start seeing things opening up slowly and that's what that's what i'll look for yeah maybe there'll be something you know one thing i think to consider is there's essential there's like businesses that are open that are essential and doing good stuff um, that are providing supplies, whether it be like Publix or pharmacies or, 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 or whatever, obviously medical professionals, you know, those people need to eat. How can we, how can we maybe help feed those people and keep them focused on keeping us safe and keeping people supplied with what they need to weather the storm? Right. That's one thing that we're looking at. You know, I, I, like I said, I'm I'm scared and hesitant to like go out and about and like you know have tons of people coming around or being around me or me being around people. I don't know. I mean, none of us know if we're carrying it right now, right? Even you know, so and we're not going to know that for a little while, if at all. So I think the people that are helping keep everyone safe and supplied cops, hardware stores, uh, obviously medical professionals. We need to think about them and what what we can do for them to keep them fed and focused. Um, That's kind of where we're starting to look, think about if there's anything the restaurants can do to help support those people. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, So, I mean, mean, do you want to, the God's honest truth is, I'm fucking scared, man. Yeah. Like, I I am scared. This is not like a hurricane. This is nothing we've ever seen before. This is really about livelihood for a lot of people in terms of, like, living or dying. Not yeah, just I mean, livelihood. And I'm fucking scared. Yeah, so I, I was talking to Mike yesterday, and we put out an episode today. So you and I are talking on Thursday. Earlier today, we put out an episode that was just uh, a conversation with Mike about uh, Ariette Hospitality's experience with all this and that was one of the things that we touched on right sort of the distinction between this and let's say a hurricane i mean it's different in all sorts of ways but one of those ways is that there really like there is nobody to to lean on especially the deeper we go into this uh there's no you know nearby market that wasn't hit as hard or anything like that it's uh it's it's not just the country it's the world so you, you it's it's 
and food and beverage has been hit first and hit hardest. Um, but it's, it's, it's coming for, for every industry, you know, it's, uh, even in my, in my own day job at Cigar Snob Magazine, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, uh, starting to get phone calls from cigar companies. In fact, one of them already uh, told me this in a conversation, you know, told me, don't be surprised if, if your cigar company advertisers start calling in to cancel their ads and tell you the checks aren't coming, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there was an article recently about, you know, for like newspapers and digital media, how a lot of their advertisers have pulled shit. This is, you know, hurricanes affect us in Florida and some other, and, you know, Puerto Rico and other places, New Orleans, Texas. But this, this affects the world. This affects every single industry, you know, it's, and it's sad. Yeah. Us as hospitality are, are hit like upfront and really bad, but it's on, it could be only a matter of time before you see it hit more and more and more people. I saw, I was reading a bunch of newspapers have already shut down. Some local news stations are shutting down or like people are just, you know, broadcasting from home. And who, like, who, like I'm right now, I'm parked in somewhere and I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I'm looking at like the bay. I don't see like any, normally there's people like on water skis that are probably rented or jet skis. I mean, things like that. There's none of that. Yeah. I see, I see a bunch of yachts that are like anchored. Maybe the, those people are hunkering down there, but they, what in like, who can think of a single industry that's not affected by this? So let me uh, just just to kind of sorry just to kind of wind down um, uh, and sort of end on a on a different thing. To the extent that you've been able to observe uh, your peers, and maybe not even necessarily in Miami, right? Because like we were just talking about, this affects everybody everywhere. Uh, but have have you seen um, other restaurant owners or chefs or even just uh, people in other businesses? Uh, doing things or making changes that you thought, oh, well, there's a, a novel idea that I might not have thought of and that's worth considering and, and looking into? Um, I mean, I, I can't single out a particular thing. I think it's amazing how in the food and beverage community, we're all looking out for each other and acting as a single voice, you know, all the petitions going around for help, for for loans, grants, all that stuff, all the stuff going around to all the stuff going around to halt the sales tax payment, the the gift card movement that is going for everyone. That that I think was pretty cool and really generous of everyone. I think it's nice to see how everyone is working together and smiling more despite all this and not smiling more, but you know, you know what I mean? Like just so positive, like lots of times it, we feel like we're all competing with each other. And, you know, I think we're realizing now it's not about that. It's about cooperating with each other to grow and be more solid, more solidarity with each other and things like that. You know, everyone is, Doing the, I think everyone right now, especially in food and beverage, is doing the best they can and doing everything that they feel is right for for their staff, for their community, for everything. And that's like when 
that's remarkable. It's, it's awe-inspiring to, to see that. Um, you know, as I'm sure you know, there's like this text, this WhatsApp thread that there's pretty much all of us on in the whole entire city that we're, you know, thinking things through and talking about and seeing how everyone's doing. Like, and that's just, it's, it's heartwarming and it's nice to see and I love it and I can like think about that and I feel good. And then a couple seconds later, I'm fucking scared again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just scary. And like, even my yo-yoing is not like cutting it to make me feel good and better about anything. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, so, so, um, uh, last thing, Uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I like was on the positive yeah. uh, versus a versus like a hurricane or natural disaster. You know, thank God we still have running water, power, internet, all of that good stuff. Like, you know, thank God we're still able to do that. Food supply chains are very strong. I was just reading an article that there's no shortage of food right now. Like everyone's good. Everyone can get what they need. One thing I think we'll start seeing a lot more of. Um, is how to take care of people who are food insecure. You know, I know Common Thread is working on something that can help people that are food insecure. But thank God the public school system is still allowing breakfast and lunch for, for people who need it. So that's a good thing. You know, I think... I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be like that right now and my heart goes out to those people and I'm scared for them and I'd like to help them how I, how I may. Right. Right. Um, so last thing I wanted to get into, we, we've gotten, uh, at least a couple of messages from some younger cooks and chefs, uh, and they were sort of, I think it was probably just, you know, we were one of the many places they reached out to in search of any kind of advice or, you know, looking for us to uh, point them in the direction of some, I don't know, useful organization or information or whatever. What advice might you have for some of the younger people who are greener in the industry? Uh, you know, not to say that, that you know, any of us, uh, you know, whether you're in food or you're a, a podcast guy, know what the hell to do or have all the right answers in this situation, but do you have something that you might have told like your, some of your staff that you think would be of value to, to anybody else who's listening? I think a good thing to look into for everyone that's able and willing is Postmates, Publix, CVS, Amazon, all of those companies are hiring a lot of people right now. So it's worth looking into to, it's worth looking into going and working for those those people to get some money coming in. Um, one of you asked me before about one of the benchmarks. Yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't think about this before, but what I do usually just to see what's going on. I'm always checking out Craigslist and Indeed to see what kind of jobs are out there, see who's hiring, things like that. And normally, you see fucking. Like, scroll down the Craigslist, see tons of stuff. Look at the past few days, you're not seeing much at all, and you're seeing, like, five Postmates posts a day or similar things. So I think that's one of the things I would look for as a benchmark is when we start seeing more job postings. I think that's forever away right now. 
Yep. You yep. know, that, <laughs> but like going and doing, you know, what you can to get by right now, I think is, is important. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's driving or Postmates or, you know, stocking shelves in public, whatever, whatever can be done to keep yourself going. Yeah. While still being safe doing that. Cause, you know, if you're going out there, you're, you're, if you're out there, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. Right. So that, so trying to find, like find alternative means for now, but still keep yourself safe, I think is a good course of action. Sure. Uh, you know, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just, no, I, that was it. Okay. Uh, so I wish I had better advice, but yeah, like, like you said, there's no, there's no playbook. There's no, no map. There's nothing to tell us what to do. Like we've been through hurricanes before. We've never been through this. No yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again, man, for, for joining, but I, I want to end on, on a sort of more positive note, uh, there, uh, we had a, an episode with Ed Reed, um, last month, uh, however, so he is a hall of famer. If there were such a thing as a Pancom podcast hall of fame, and we were basing any of that on how many times episodes have been listened to, you'd be first ballot. You are the all time most listened to episode of this podcast that was october 27 you're still staying strong on top so uh thank you bankong podcast hall of famer uh future hall of famer <laughs> which i think we might put we might put a hall of fame maybe like in the form of framed pictures in the bathroom at chugs is what i'm thinking uh i'm, I'm gonna be, i'm gonna go home and tell my kids that <laughs> as soon as i get there it's probably because of the thumbnail Thumbnail, I think, is of me yo-yoing. So that could know. be, yeah. Yo-yos, not. yeah. Yo-yos always are, are are an unfair advantage. So, uh, but anyway, but man, thanks. I can't wait to see Ed Reed. I can't wait to see Ed Reed one day, though, and kind of throw that in his face. That's right. That's right. Although <laughs> he's a competitive guy, if he hears this, he might start yo-yoing for that meeting. I mean, we have it. Maybe it's also we have the link, I believe, on all three of our websites. That could be. That's so. probably that's probably a factor. <laughs> all right man well thanks again uh, and uh take, take and, care yeah absolutely Be and safe. you too you too take care man thanks next up is a phone call with adelie cabrera she is the uh, vice president of operations at constellation culinary group uh has not been on this podcast before but hopefully we will have her on for a, a full episode and uh, lighter conversation in post-corona times. Um, but we wanted to bring her in here uh, because we thought it'd be valuable to have perspective from a person who's at a, at a larger company and also in the catering field. She's been in catering for, uh, for much longer but has been for years uh, with Constellation Culinary Group. Uh, and we'll let her explain a bit more about what that company does in case you are not yourself uh, familiar. So my name is Adelie Cabrera. Um, I'm Vice President of Operations for Constellation Culinary Group. Um, Constellation Culinary Group is a um, food service operator um, specializing in large-scale special events, um, you know, from the catering perspective. So we 
only provide the catering, no other, um, you know, part of the event. And then we also operate in um, in lots of attractions and cultural institutions um, throughout the country, as well as we have a division of our business that handles um, business accounts, um, you know, be it a large corporation that has an on-site um, cafe for their staff, or they have a conference center where they host a lot of meetings, we would be the food service provider um, in those instances. So we we operate um, mostly on the East Coast. We're in anywhere from Massachusetts all the way to Florida. And then we have one account um, in California and San Francisco. And um, and my region is uh, North Carolina um, and Florida. Got it. So uh, just to give people who are listening uh, like a sense of the scale, because I think that's also something that, you know, is important for context in terms of how people are uh, responding and reacting to all this uh, coronavirus stuff. Uh, what, what can you tell me, whether that's maybe in terms of uh, revenue or the employees, you know, how many, the number of employees that you're dealing with, uh, whatever you can tell us to give us a sense of like the scale sure. of company that we're talking about. Sure. So uh, we have approximately 200, 220 um, full-time management staff and about 2,000 hourly staff. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're considered, we're not a small company, um, but we do, we are owned by a large company, a corporation. And so um, our, you know, when you, when you put us into the bucket of all of the, all of our sister companies, we're part of a large corporation, but Constellation itself is, is not a large corporation. Got it. And what corporation is that that owns Constellation? Um, Elior North America. Got it. Okay, so um, walk me through, and I, I think it's great that we're talking to to you in particular on the operations side, because ultimately, you know, you you can be as talented a chef as you want to be, but I think the skill set uh, that's required for for something like this probably resides more in somebody like you. Uh, so I, hopefully, people listening to this will feel like they took some valuable insights uh, from the way that you all have uh, have approached and responded to this very weird situation. Uh, so kind of give me a, a, a run through of, you know, f- the timeline from normal to now, which is kind of the way that I've been framing it for people because it's, it's tough to pinpoint when normal was right now. Um, but at what point and based on uh, what, uh, let's say, indicators or what news or what advice did you make what changes between then and now? Well, you know, because we, we operate in in the Northeast and, you know, a large portion of our business is in the Northeast, um, I would say that the normal ended for us um, probably a lot sooner than it did um, for most Florida businesses. Um, you know, we started to um, feel the effects of it in I would say the first week of March, um, where, you know, I can tell you from experience and from being here in Florida that everything was kind of status quo for us here. Um, Our Northeastern colleagues started to experience a lot of cancellations or actually postponements and things, you know, people starting to feel concerned. Uh, because again, you know, we have a large portion of our businesses in New York. 
in in Miami, I would say that I started to feel the effects of it and, you know, and see what what they were feeling in New York, um, probably around March 8th or 9th. That's when I started to sort of, you know, see people really being concerned and, you know, starting to take measures and and uh, postponing or talking of postponement. And then, and then, you know, that weekend came and went to the weekend. I think it was probably like the 14th of March or something like that. Um, that weekend came and went. It was pretty um, quiet and, um, and people started to take action pretty quickly then. So, you know, I would say that by the, the from, from the 8th of March till the 16th of March, which was a week, we, we experienced like our whole world, you know, was turned upside down and every single event that we had booked, you know, um, in March certainly was, was moved. And then as more information started to come out, you know, um, CDC recommendations and things uh, re related to large gatherings, then things started to um, cancel or postpone into April and May as well. So, you know, right now for, for our businesses, we're looking at like May 11th, you know, after the CDC made that recommendation um, for groups over 50 for eight weeks, you know, or banning that, we, we basically said, okay, so our next real hope comes May 11th. Right. Uh, and in terms of the, uh, the changes that you've made, I guess I think of some of the other conversations that I've had with people in the restaurant industry. Um, and there's, a certain almost like a, a logical way that they can at least hope to successfully uh, adjust, right? Like you have sort of a very clear idea of like, okay, this is how a restaurant might make itself more nimble. And in, in the case of Mike's restaurants, for example, uh, Nave, uh, Chugs, and Ariette, where uh, at one point Ariette was sort of like, you know, the flagship of the brand. Uh, now people are consuming food in a very different way. They're catering to people who are, uh, you know, sitting on their couches or at home, and they're sort of uh, making the focus uh, chugs, which, as as Mike put it, you know, they're shifting from being a fine dining company to being more of a, a comfort food company. Um, in a, in the case of a of a large catering operation, where are there if there are uh, opportunities to? sort of adjust and be inventive uh, about how you cope, even if it's just for the short term? How, how, what kinds of adjustments can you make to what you're offering uh, consumers? Or is it that your hands are a little more tied? So, you know, we, we've, never, we, we've never had a real retail operation. You know, as you mentioned, when we started this conversation, you know, there isn't a lot of brand awareness uh, necessarily for Constellation in a retail environment because when we operate, for instance, at the Perez Art Museum and we have their day restaurant and we operate that, we don't, we don't call it Constellation. We call it Verde you know, at PAM. So we, we don't have um, really the ability to overnight create this whole grab and go retail um, trend that, you know, that I see a lot of restaurants doing and I, and I commend them for doing that, you know, and they, they also have much smaller um, 
you know, operations in terms of like their payroll and everything else. So we, we have made the decision, first and foremost, we operate in a lot of public spaces. And so like the, the, the health and well-being of not only our team members, but our guests is, is first and foremost. And so um, when those, those public spaces have closed, you know, one by one, um, we've basically closed down our own operations and, and made the decision that, um, you know, we would have to um, either furlough some staff or keep some staff on. But, you know, we've taken the approach that, you know, what do people need most right now? Um, they need food and they need uh, shelter and they need their health care. So we've, you know, um, made the decision as a business to um, pay for people's health care premiums, um, both their portion and, and the company contribution portion, um, you know, we're, we're paying everyone PTO time and vacation time that they've accrued. Um, and this is for hourlies and, um, and salaried managers. Um, and we're, we're, you know, sort of monitoring this day by day. And we also felt, you know, that it was best, it was in the best interest of the employees if we um, furloughed them and gave them the ability to apply for unemployment versus giving them, you know, 10 hours a week because at the end of the day there's a cost to go to work and park your car and the gas and the tolls and you know and we thought that it was just better um for them financially and also from a health perspective to just stay home so um that that's been our approach you know um we we have taken every anything perishable that we have in our um in our kitchens and donated it to all of our staff. You know, my region here has approximately 300 employees when you put together all the managers and hourly staff. And we just created like a marketplace and said, you know, come get food and yeah. go home and, and stay home, please. Yeah. Because we, we feel strongly that this, you know, the more people stay home, the better off we will be in the long run and people will, you know, will adjust to whatever our new normal will be. Because, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that this is not going to go away overnight. Right, right. Yeah, there, I'm sure there's certainly going to be, I would imagine, uh, some period of time where it's like you're, you know, dipping, we're, we're all dipping our toes back into the water of what normal might feel like while also be, being cognizant of like some of us are going to get uh, I'm, I'm running at the end of the, of the analogy here, but we're going to get coronavirus on our toes in some cases. And we just have to kind of have to be ready for, for that possibility. Um, what, and this is another question that I've been asking a version of uh, to, to all the people we've spoken with, but um, in observing the broader food world, uh, have there been, uh, whether it's other companies or uh, uh, restaurants or what have you, it, it sort of implementing some novel ideas that, that you all have been able to uh, uh, learn from or, or bring into what you're doing? And then by the same token, I wonder whether uh, you think there are things that, that Constellation has done uh, that maybe smaller operators could learn from because a lot of the time, you know, when, when you're a smaller company, you don't necessarily have the bandwidth to, uh, 
to think at, at the level that a larger company might be able to. You don't necessarily have the staff on hand who are as specialized as maybe you are in operations. Uh, so two-part question. Number one, where have you learned? And what do you think people might be able to learn from Constellation if they're treating this as like a, a short case study sort of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one of, one of the most definitely the worst part of all of this is how it's affecting our people, you know, and I, this is certainly a public health issue, um, but it, the, the effects on the economy and the effects on our economy, though, you know, our own personal financials is going to be um, monumental. And so um, we, you know, and we have we we have an industry where we have a lot of people that are living, you know, check to check. Sometimes even the check isn't even enough to cover their bills. Oftentimes, and so they, those are the people that worry us the most. And um, so you know, we we learn a lot from you know companies like. Uh, Union Square Hospitality, where they, you know, established a fund um, for their staff, and we're in the process of establishing one ourselves. And you know, this uh, we we hadn't, we don't have one in existence, but it's already in the works, and it would be um, a way for even our customers to feel like they're contributing to the the greater, you know, good for for the employees and for the hospitality industry as a whole. So, you know, right now we're trying to determine how the contributions would be made to this fund and how we would disperse it. But one of the ideas that we had was that, you know, if um, for every guest count, um, for every person that is um, at one of our events and every guaranteed guest count that we receive, we would contribute, you know, some form of money to it. So let's say if it's a hundred people and we're contributing a dollar, we put a hundred dollars in there. And then our employees would um, be running the fund at different levels. So there would be different, you know, different, a committee of different um, people on the, on the board of directors for the fund, basically determining who is getting the money. And we would have employees, you know, um, apply for, for, some sort of contribution from the fund. So we're, we're do, we're trying to be creative and really keep our people um, at the forefront of every decision that we make, you know, and really trying to make sure that, that they're able to get through this. Yeah. And then uh, the, uh, the last thing I wanted to get into was in the same way that there are a lot of smaller operators who run restaurants, there's a lot of uh, smaller uh, caterers, uh, but I, I don't think, and maybe I just don't have my finger enough on the pulse of, of all of this, uh, so much of the, let's call it like the media coverage and the social media buzz about the food industry and the impact has been on restaurants and what restaurants ought to be petitioning for and lobbying for and who they should be calling. Okay. And, uh, I, I wonder whether, uh, in the catering, uh, sphere more narrowly, what, what do you think that the, uh, that caterers ought to be maybe like banding together to try to accomplish uh, collectively for lack of a better word. Right. I mean, in the, in the same way that a lot of restaurants are uh, uh, let's say, for example, talking about petitioning for uh, suspensions of bans on delivering alcohol. Uh, are, are there things like that that you think, you know, uh, 
caterers of all sizes could be pushing for to sort of ease the 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 burden on on everybody yeah well i mean certainly you know the restaurant the restaurant industry has um such a loud voice and thankfully they bring a lot of attention to hospitality and catering has always been um you know the stepchild of the hospitality industry it's it's you know when i was in hospitality school in the 90s you didn't even you couldn't even study um, anything to do with special events or catering. There were no such classes offered. And um, and I remember, you know, speaking to my advisor because I had already been exposed to catering and had already fallen in love with it and thought, you know, well, this is what I want to study. And there was no possibility. And so I was, you know, guided into a degree in hotel sales and meeting management because, you know, back then hospitality was hotels or restaurants. And basically that was it. Um, so, so catering is such a young industry and there isn't, um, there are some organizations that have come together like the International Caterers Association and, um, NACE, which is the National Association for Catering. Um, I can't even remember what the last letter stands for. Um, but you know, there are organizations that exist out there that, that are for caterers specifically, um, and, and I, you know, what, what caterers need to be doing right now, and this is, you know, what I hope most people are doing is continuing to, um, sell events for the future, because really if they could, if they could continue to collect deposits and, you know, and find creative ways to host events in a way that people feel safe and people, you know, feel like they can, they can do so for future business. That's really what's going to, to save them. And of course, then whatever the restaurant industry, you know, accomplishes um, in terms of, you know, forgiving rent because yeah, caterers have rent also. They don't have storefronts, but they have commissaries and they have warehouses and they have vehicles. They most caterers, unlike restaurants, have trucks. You know, we don't caterers don't call Postmates or Uber to deliver their food. They deliver their own food, you know, and they have um personnel that that doesn't necessarily get tipped, but their warehouse and, and cooks and these people are usually, um, you know, higher paid, like payroll for a caterer is, is higher than it is in a restaurant usually because in a restaurant you have tipped front of house servers. So I, I think that caterers really just need to follow that bandwagon and try to get all of the, um, all of the assistance that they can that the that the restaurants are pushing for, you know, and and really be sure that their voices are heard and that, you know, people realize that catering is a very big industry. I know one of my friends was just at the Cater Source Conference in Las Vegas, which actually happened last week, coincidentally, while all nine thousand caterers were in Las Vegas for an annual conference and they came back to basically all of their businesses, you know, being in severe, um, dire need. So it, it, you know, here they are bettering themselves for the future and getting, you know, learning tricks of the trade and, and learning tips from each other. And they come back to basically businesses that are on life support. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I will leave it there. But b before we uh, 
end the thing, I just want to make sure, is there anything we didn't get into that, that you'd like to or, uh, or that you think uh, people listening would benefit from, from here considering? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that um, I think that that we have to, you know, listen to what the government officials, whether you agree with them or not, and I'm not suggesting that I agree, but you know, we have to listen to what they're saying. You know, I think that we'll be better off if we all just adhere to what is being said. You know, stay home, um, get past this the fear of living with uh, this virus in our community, it's not going to go away. And we just have to figure out a way to, to come out on the other side so that we can continue life. So speaking of continuing life, maybe just to end on a little bit of a, (laughs) of a brighter note, uh, obviously when you're uh, not doing constellation things, you're a normal human being doing normal human being coronavirus things. Uh, are there things that you have going on at home or something that you, you do to kind of keep your head right through this weird time? Well, I haven't actually been home yet. Today was uh, my last day in the office. So um, tomorrow I will start okay. uh, homeschooling my uh, second grader. I have a, a daughter that's in the second grade that has been doing all of her own schoolwork this week. And so she's she needs some help, and um, and I have a son that's a senior um, in high school that hopefully has a graduation. But you know, I want right. to find some creative things to make him feel like his senior year was not a waste. And and then I have another son that's in college, and he's you know he he's living through the times of Corona. It's pretty interesting because my my son, my oldest, was born in uh, 2001. And I was pregnant with the second son during September 11th. And, oh, wow. you know, and I was speaking to my mom yesterday and I said, it's incredible how many historic events have happened in the lives of my sons that aren't even 20 yet. You know, it's just incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully this will be more of a blip than like a chapter in, uh, in their lives. So we'll, uh, yeah. keep our fingers crossed. For and, and something, something to learn from, you Absolutely. know, we just need to learn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again. Uh, hopefully when all of this social distancing stuff is in the rearview mirror, we can, uh, have you on for like a full episode where we share, uh, drinks and finger food and all sorts of uh, <laughs> virus fear-free activities for another episode. That sounds, yeah, that sounds amazing. And we can talk about how we overcame this. Right, exactly. All right. Well, yeah. thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Take Likewise. Care. Bye. All right. Finally, we'll hear from another past guest, Norman Van Aken. Norman, of course, is a legendary chef, one of the most consequential chefs in South Florida's history uh james beard award winner is a james beard who's who uh and like uh danny surfer i'm sure a first ballot bancom podcast hall of famer uh so we had a chance to uh talk with norman about how this is impacting him but also uh the way that he sees the broader industry you know sort of uh as as he described himself i i think one of the uh the senior members of the uh, culinary community here in South Florida and the United States. And so uh, hopefully you'll find some valuable perspective in what Norman had to say here. 
So first, uh, Norman, let's uh, let's start with just how you're faring personally in all of this. Uh, is, is there? Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, myself included. We have people in our families who, you know, uh, all of that becomes the the most important thing. Uh, or are there any special causes for for concern or anything in particular that that you've experienced, you know, out of the ordinary with all this coronavirus stuff? No, our families are fine, thank you. Um, we have been in in a conference and communication with each other um, every day, twice a day. Everybody's doing well uh, as far as the families are concerned, and that's families in different states as well as Florida. That's good to hear. Um, so uh, as far as your uh, professional life, I know that mm-hmm. at, at least uh, the last time we spoke, you had – some projects that were sort of in the works. Uh, I imagine that that's probably a better place to be than having a, a standalone restaurant actually operating and having to bring that to a screeching halt. But uh, but where does this put you in particular? I think it'd be interesting for people to hear from uh, you know from somebody who had things sort of in the in the in the works phase of things. Mm-hmm. Well, first and foremost, um, what is on my mind the most? Are the other are the people who have had to close their restaurants and bring things to a screeching halt, and who are having to explain to the employees and to their families and to investors that the world is upside down and they're broke. I can't, I can't, you know. Even though we're spending most of our time indoors, if my mind wanders to the people who are. Um, in their 30s and 40s, and we're just really starting to make it happen and really turning a corner, um, keeping their restaurants alive under normal circumstances, maybe even thinking about, you know, taking on a second project or improving their dining room or kitchen, and how all of that is suddenly just impossible now. And my heart goes out to them because they've been thwarted uh, in the in the prime of their career from succeeding when it's through no fault of their own. It, we'd have to go back to the to the pandemic of 1919 to have anything that could at all be a corollary to this one. And it's impossible for anybody of this generation or my generation or even my parents' generation to think back to 1919. And so there's no playbook. There's no manual. There's no what are we going to do two weeks from now. For most people, it is six hours and there's a whole new set of realities absolutely um and and i I do want to get a little bit deeper into your perspective on what that group and and what uh you know younger restaurateurs or not even younger ones but just people who are uh you know maybe newer in the business um uh are going through uh but but again back to back to where you are um you know I, i think it'd be some valuable perspective to you know for people who uh, maybe don't, obviously nobody has experience with a pandemic like this, but right. you do have more experience in the business. Uh, so I wonder where, where, where you are personally and, uh, and, and even if it's speaking in hypotheticals, you know, where are you now? And, you know, what do you imagine yourself doing if this had hit you, you know, uh, at, at different parts of your career, let's say. Right. Right. And I think about this very much so because I'm, so attached and feel a lot of love for um, 
a number of the people that you and I both know, people that have been on your podcast, you know, uh, you know, the names are the names are well known, and you know, people are taking action, like Michael Beltran and Michelle, uh, and um, you know, uh, Annie and Cesar, and you know, so many of the folks that are just they've got their they've got their restaurant, and maybe they have more than one, but they've been They've been they've been closed. I mean, Timeout Market, of course, is closed as well, which is where we have uh, two stalls with uh, my partners having another stall there. So that's an unknown. But um, it's not it's not the same as it is for those folks that have their individual restaurants that were open a week ago and thinking that everything was fine. For myself, I'm you know I've been able to parlay my um, experience as a chef into becoming a consultant and. Uh, to some extent, that is a great bridge for me as an individual because um, I don't have everything in one in one basket. You know, and when I had when I was the chef of a restaurant on, on Ocean Drive at the Betsy Ross Hotel was when Hurricane Andrew hit, and it was bad, of course. But in perspective, it was only bad for two weeks. You know, and it was, and I could have potentially driven a car from there to Indiana and then there'd be no more. You can't drive away from this one. Right. So it's, there's nothing, there's nothing I've been through that is a direct parallel. Um, and I can't say to um, people who have are in the midst of trying to, you know, run a restaurant, open up for takeout and delivery, figure out how to sell off inventory. I can't say to them, well, become a consultant. <laughs> That's just not, you know, that's just not something you just start tomorrow. And it, it, it would have needed to be, it, it's not something that I would have been able to even be doing myself when I was in my 30s or 40s. I hadn't built up um, the kind of confidence that others would have in me to be a consultant at that age. And so it's not an answer for them. And Well, and even, and, even and, if they could go from one day to the next to consulting, who are you going to consult for when everybody's done? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, it's, it's, it's terrible. And, um, <laughs> I had a friend who went to prison for a while for, uh, dealing and, um, he managed to keep a perspective pretty amazingly. He was the, the first guy actually that went to Key West that I knew. And, but he, he sent me a, a cartoon. It was a prisoner who was shackled to a wall and it was Christmas time. And there was a lousy little Christmas tree in the corner of his cell with some, with some uh, little boxes on the floor underneath the Christmas tree. And the caption for the cartoon is, aren't you going to open up your presents, Steve? <laughs> but he was shackled to the wall, you know? So how, how in the world, you know, that's just, that's the way we deal with tragedy oftentimes is the irony of, of humor and, and the black humor sometimes is what comes out in times like this. It's just like, we're all fucked together in various ways and some more, some more um, desperately than others, you know, some that are losing their businesses and some that are losing their, some, not many so far, thank God, but are losing family members. Yeah. I, I almost wonder whether, um, not to, this is hardly uh, a silver lining or anything, but uh, I, I wonder whether there's an aspect of the nature of, of this and maybe as, as somebody who, you know, um, was in the business at the time of Hurricane Andrew. You could speak to, to this, but uh, I wonder whether, at least in this situation, 
there's a little bit more of that. We're all in exactly the same boat, right? In in the sense that there's very little of that, like, oh, well, maybe if I had 10 years ago put my restaurant in this location or, you know, 10 more feet above sea level or something like that, mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be in that situation that my buddy's in where he's not hurting as much. I mean, this really is an everybody and every place uh, thing. And... And so I wonder whether that at least removes some of the some of the self doubt and some of the some of that agonizing over your own decisions because it, it really every aspect of this was very much outside of everybody's control and including how it's affecting their own individual businesses. Well, I think that is one of the um, the viewpoints that you take on life in general after you hit the age of sixty or fifty five if you're smarter than me. But you realize we are all in this together, and that um, and that everybody can be mowed down, uh, and that you are you're not you're not uh, alone. No one's invincible. We're going to need a lot more than um, a community pulling together the way the community did pull together during Hurricane Andrew. Um, we're going to need a whole lot of help from the federal government because this is. This is well beyond the scope of uh, Hurricane Andrew, and it, I mean, it just dwarfs it. Um, so, <laughs> but I think, you know, what's going to happen, I mean, I think there'll be things that will happen. There will be silver linings, and I think one of the silver linings will be that as humans, the bitching and the moaning about something small will be looked at in a different way um, because of the gross tragedy that's upon us. I mean, anybody whining about a trivial matter, I don't think they'll be likely to do that as often. And they certainly won't be supported by others because others will be remembering if we make it out of this one, we should be thankful for everything that we do have. Right. Yeah, certainly at least, for, at least for this generation, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I think about uh, the greatest generation as it's called sometimes World War II, which my mom was a uh, you know, she was uh, in the service. And I think about the, the the lifelong community action that she got involved with after being in World War II, helping build um, boats out in California until she fell three stories and landed on her back and broke it. Uh, but when she when the war was over, she was she joined and helped uh form Girl Scout troops in our neighborhood and we had a victory garden and um, she was certainly heavily involved in the church and, and things like that. And I think that's, those are the things that um, through wars and depressions and disasters that build character that uh, make people become more human, sure. stronger. Um, more giving and more sharing and putting things in perspective. And and I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. And this is not only on American soil. This is global. And so we've got to remember this isn't the Chinese flu, goddammit, <laughs> as it's been called by some. Um, this is this is this is coronavirus. It's not specific to a country or to a race. Um, I'm, you know, I'm. I'm asking, you know, how can I be of help? How can, you know, a senior member of the, the the Florida food community be of help? And if somebody has ideas for that, I'm happy to listen. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to throw a 
a gala benefit right now because you can't. But uh, the days will come when we're going to need to raise money and funds for people. And if I can support that by being in the kitchen with others or doing something other other than that, I would love to sure um, have someone let me know. So um, sort of along those same lines, uh, I, I wonder whether in you're just observing what people in the business have been doing, not just in South Florida, but, but, but anywhere, you know, cause this we're, we're, we're listening to uh, <laughs> far and wide. Uh, ha- have you seen or, uh, or spoken to anybody who uh, has put into place any like novel ideas or any sort of innovative solutions that might not have occurred to you and, and made you think like, Oh, that's, that's an interesting idea. Maybe other people should be looking at this and, and trying that out. I'll give, I'll give you a couple of examples of the sort of thing that I'm talking about. So, for instance, uh, you know, um, there's in Texas uh, and among other states, there was a push to uh, lift at least temporarily uh, prohibitions on restaurants delivering alcohol. Uh, you had Mike at Ariette uh, liquidating his wine inventory. Uh, and then also on the, on the episode that we released uh, previous to this one, we mentioned that Threefold Cafe, at least their Coral Gables location, uh, had sort of shifted to more of a market grocery model to uh, sell. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. So, so are, are there things like that or, or along those lines of, you know, sort of novel solutions that, that some people have turned to, to to sort of get through this time and uh, that have been especially interesting to you? I did. I've heard of both of those, and I uh, think that's, and it just shows the extent that people are going to to be creative um, and to do whatever it takes. Um, I did see this morning, and I, 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 let me back up a little bit. I've been wondering where the hell is all this food going? At the many, many, many restaurants of all different levels uh, on the highways, and you think of all the food deliveries that were happening there a week ago and two, two days, 10 days ago, where's all that food now? You know, what happens to all the suppliers, the farmers, and all of the, you know, the artisanal um, food makers. And where is, where is it all going? Well, God knows. I mean, is it rotting somewhere? Is right. it not going to schools and hospitals? And, and how do we, you know, how do we, how do we switch gears and get, make sure that food isn't rotting and, and being wasted when people need it? Um, I saw today that uh, the folks in the, of the Versailles family, of the Vols family, have part, uh, partnered up with Sedanos. The grocery stores are being slammed and the restaurants are forced to close. And so they've created a partnership with Sedanos and Versailles to, uh, to um, move a lot of employees from Versailles to Sedanos in this period of time, which I think is a really smart move because grocery stores are slammed, the restaurants are closed, but we're, we're both in the food business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw that news as well, and I, I, I couldn't help thinking, you know, you got to hope that even if it's just on that on that very, very hyper, hyper local level of, you know, if, if you're a grocery store in a strip mall and suddenly you're the only one of 10 businesses that's open, I mean, they're, you've got a demand for labor and, and there's clearly a, a supply where you used to have neighbors. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, hopefully enough people saw that, that, you know, that 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 example uh, puts a dent in, in at least some of the problem of, of people's hurting during this time. Um, I'd like to, I'd like people to, to go to the restaurants, to go directly to the restaurants if they can. And I know that they're urged not to go out, but 
if they're going to go uh, to the store and go get, uh, you know, something to eat that's prepared at the store, they could just as easily go to the independent restaurants that are open and doing um, curbside pickups and support those restaurants directly versus using an app and having the profits uh, drained away that could go directly to the operation of the restaurants. Right, right. Um, so some of this might feel a little uh, redundant, but I, I did want to bring up, so we had at least one listener uh, who's a, a young sous chef in, in South Florida uh, at a restaurant where my understanding was from what he wrote us that uh, that his job had been saved, but that he was at a restaurant where they had to let go of about half the staff. Um so, you know, his, his question was just, you know, he was sort of asking us to to ask around uh, on just what advice other people in the industry might have, whether it's uh, here's where you might go for work, here's an organization you might go to for advice or counsel or whatever. What might you tell uh, somebody who's in that dire situation of having just been let go or furloughed or whatever it might be uh, after this outbreak? Tough, um, you know, it's it's really rough because people are they're they're you know being told to stay inside and be, in doing so becoming in a way insulated from the tragedies of what's going out there. They're tuning to the national news and not seeing what's happening locally and on the street. They're not walking through, um, you know, a, an area whether it's New York City's Chinatown or it's you know walking through Little Havana here. They're not seeing it with their own two eyes, what's going on. And, uh, but for the people who are, you know, young, a young chef that's been um, furloughed or laid off, uh, I mean, I, tough, I, I just, I mean, I, if it was me, I'd be probably thinking, how do I set up, um, you know, a, a, a ghost kitchen inside of a, inside of a school or a house or something. I'd, 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 I'd be going crazy because I um, mean, you know, I had, so much energy to cook that I would want to figure out some way to utilize it. Right, right. Um, maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe there'll be voluntary kind of soup kitchen kind of things that are springing up to help. I mean, we know the homeless who have been so, <laughs> it's been such a tragedy for so long, you know, that, but now imagine how what's for them. I mean, you know, maybe there's things that'll, that, that people will, um, say yes we do want help maybe the camilla's house uh and organizations like that will be looking for people who have those skills to help out i don't know if that they'll be able to pay them though you know right. I, I, maybe maybe that's just that's the biggest problem is where where the revenue is going to come from i mean we're, we're seeing that the government might give taxpayers a, a certain amount of money but if it's even if it's fifteen hundred dollars that's not going to last a month uh, so where I, I want to end, and, and this is uh, uh, sort of more of a, f- a looking forward question, but uh, just in terms of the, the culture, right, whether it's the culture of, the, the, of dining or of the kitchen, uh, you know, so much of this, especially if, if all this quarantining and social distancing and, you know, whatever else lasts mm-hmm. a, a prolonged period... Um, I'll give you an example. So, you know, there's, uh, of course, people who are uh, over 65, 70 are, are at higher risk. And so you've got, you got some people who are, especially if they're already, you know, or, or if they have some underlying health issue, 
uh, are having to isolate themselves even from their immediate families or from their grandchildren. I have to think if you're like a four or five, six year old kid uh, and you go six months, 12 months without really having much close contact with a, with a grandparent, that's got to affect the way that you relate to, to your family moving forward. I have to think that there's something similar. There are, there's the potential for similar impact uh, positive or negative, right? Because on the other hand, there's also maybe it just introduces good practices. Maybe there are people out there who weren't washing their hands until a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so, um, right? Do, do you see uh, what is your outlook just on how this impacts the culture of restaurants from the diner side, from the from the kitchen side, uh, from the business side? Is there anything that you see that you think, well, you know, for better or worse, this may be one of the lasting impacts of this? Well, I think that you just touched on one of them, which is good practices. And um, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, after this, I don't think anybody's going to be questioning whether or not you're going to uh, change out cutting boards between doing different tasks. Um, I think hygiene, I think restaurants will be judged in, in ways hygienically beyond any kind of measure that they were before. And so I think that is a, a lasting benefit to us all because, you know, we are connected, and um, I, 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 I think it's giving a lot of chances for for people to hit a reset button. We we don't have a choice, you know. One of the things that I, where I'm I'm doing some consulting for an operation that's it, a successful operation, um, but not as successful as they would like to be. That's one of the reasons that we are um, joining forces, but. It, it, when you're when you're busy and you're you know you're 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 shoveling out you know you're doing your lunch you're doing your dinner, it's kind of hard to like step in and say let's introduce another you know another program that is about uh, safety or sanitation because you're just you're in the middle of a zone a battle zone right well now because we're closed now it's like uh, let's take some time to um, set up better practices whether they be for financial reasons or for for sanitation reasons or for a time to restructure the menu, a time to, you know, look at and analyze and seeing what what sells, what doesn't sell, uh, how happy is your staff, you know, things like that. We, you know, we're realizing again, we're forced to realize again that every member of the staff is is got to be valued and got to be appreciated. And so I think some of the silver lining will be everybody getting back in touch with our humanity. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't Brother Jose Andres reporting from Puerto Rico or, or, or Haiti or somewhere else. This is all of us now, you know, and it's not on TV somewhere else. It's right. all of us and it's here. Yeah. Well, is there anything we haven't touched on that, uh, that you'd want to get into before we wrap up? Unless you've got a cure, I guess not. <laughs> well, I'll keep you posted. Uh, if you you get the vac- you get the vaccine, Nick, let, let us know. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll the, the the podcast listeners will be the first to find out, and then I'll text you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. Thank you very much, Norman. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Bye bye. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Pancong Podcast. We are going to be back with a similar episode. We're going to keep making these phone calls and recording them and bringing them to you. So um, uh, as always, you can check out 
Pankong uh, Podcast at datemag.com slash Pankong Podcast. We're Pankong Podcast on all of the social media things. You can follow our usual host, Mike Beltran at Pig Inc. That's P-I-G-I-N-C uh, all over the place. Uh, his restaurants are Ariat Miami, uh, Nave Miami, Chug's Diner uh, on Instagram. There's also uh, Scapegoat and uh, and Laying Out the Timeout Market. But uh, the Timeout Market, as you just heard Norman Van Aken mention, is is closed, so that's not uh, not active right now. Um, you can support what we're doing on Patreon for as little as a buck a month. That's uh, patreon.com slash dadmag. Even if you are not in a position that you want to uh, part with any uh, money during this quarantine, you can go to Patreon and just follow what we're doing there. Um, and then should down the road you want to opt in, you can. Uh, but finally, I will also mention if you go to dadmag.com, that's D-A-D-E-M-A-G.com, there is a lot of stuff there that you might be interested in consuming, whether it's podcasts or articles or whatever else during this quarantine time. Uh, so hopefully we can be a part of, uh, of keeping you sane, uh, during all of this, um, including step into the sandbox, which is another date podcast. That one's hosted by David Vidhano. It's conversations with creatives all about the creative process and the worlds they create for themselves and their work. Uh, so go and check that out. Finally, in keeping with tradition, even though Mike is not here to offer his own, I will give you a recommendation, uh, for years, I have been meaning to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. I had never done it. Finally started uh, binging that in the last couple of days. And uh, if anything, I'm just angry that I waited this long. Curb Your Enthusiasm, awesome. If you're like me and you're way late to that party, get on there. It's included with Amazon Prime so you can uh, stream it without, uh, without having to spend any more. All right? Thank you very much. Uh, as always, you can email us at... Pankong podcast at dadmag.com. Send us your feedback, your questions, send us your story. Maybe it's something we can uh, share here. Um, and, uh, you know, stay safe, wash your hands, uh, sneeze into your elbow, all that stuff. Bye.